My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular, entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciakathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I'm sitting down with Lisa Hyde. She is the founder of The Confidence Crown and a health and beauty expert, as well as an advisor to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on, Patricia. This is great. Absolutely. I'm excited to climb through everything that you're doing. For everyone listening, I'm going to read a bio on Lisa, but really quickly, a um, roadmap of today's podcast will follow the same trajectory as all of these, which is we will cover Lisa's academic background and early professional life. And then we will turn to unpacking her current endeavors and company and all of the pursuits within the confidence crown, nuts and bolts, all the way into like the ethos of the company. Then we'll turn to the goals that Lisa may have for over the next three years, scaling, expansion, um, brand changes, any areas that she foresees, any changes or um, evolution. And then we'll wrap everything up with the advice that Lisa may have for those looking to get involved or follow her or kind of mirror what um, some of her uh, company's successes have been. A quick bio on Lisa. Lisa Hyde is a serial entrepreneur, beauty, health, and wellness expert and founder of The Confidence Crown, a lifestyle brand and weekly podcast delivering authentic and compelling content for women. As a motivational speaker and inspirational coach, Lisa uses her infectious energy to empower women to become the queen of their life. A form, as a former Hollywood talent agent and manager, Lisa traded her corporate life for a more time and financial freedom through her work as an independent consultant for the North America's number one skincare brand, Rodin and Fields. Now she is able to live freely, and most importantly, help women across the globe pursue their passion of owning their own business while improving their confidence inside and out. Lisa resides in Los Angeles with her fur baby, Ouija. For more information, visit theconfidencecrown.com. And I'm not sure if I said his or her name right. No, you did that perfectly. Most people <laughs> messed that up. I was, thank you. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, which bio is she reading? No, that's fantastic. That was you, spot on. And he is Ouija Excellent. and he's fabulous. Like that's <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. With us. What, what brand, what, um, brand what is Ouija? Brand? brand, he's superior. Um, he is. What breed? <laughs> he's a Chihuahua that. Rat Terrier Rescue. And honestly, the sweetest oh. guy in the whole world. And he is. Just turned 12, uh, Thanksgiving, and he, nice. yeah, he's uh, uh, fifth rescue, but by far the best. He's just fun, really, uh, really smart, and um, just 
makes my day. He's, he's such a good guy. He sounds small. He sounds like a, a smaller, a smaller. Whopping 14 pounds, but he's got these long legs. So he tricks everyone. People think he's a lot bigger, but he's oh. mighty with his bark. <laughs> That's what counts, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so will you crawl us into, before we jump into like everything that you're doing right now, I know you've got some exciting stuff happening um, <laughs> on your horizon as well, but will you crawl us through your academic background and your early professional life so we can get a feel for where you came from? Sure. And I thank you for asking because it's funny. Some people don't want to know, like, well, where did you start? I'm like, um, this is a long road. I will try to make it short for you. Um, but I grew up here in LA. I'm a third generation Los Angelino, but also a third generation talent agent. So I had my eyes on being an agent from a very young age at five. I started scribbling the logo of the company I wanted to work for. Wow. So my whole path, um, was how quickly can I get <laughs> into the mailroom to start one of the hardest jobs I've ever, ever tackled in my life. And it required a BA. So I went to USC. Um, I actually graduated in four years. It took me 10 years to pay off, but I did it. Yep. Um, and I'm old school SC, so no, no thinking I'm part of the new crew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one paid anything to get you in there? Uh, no, on the serious OG. No, again, it took me 10 years to pay off. Um, there were no, <clears throat> no bribes happening then. Um, but I love the school. Um, I knew, again, I was going to have a career in entertainment. So I actually went there to look for anything else besides entertainment to interest me. Um, and in fact... Um, except for an awesome sociology class that happened with a visiting professor from Harvard, I was pretty gung-ho and took everything I could to study and, you know, just get done in four years, but ended up with a film minor so I could learn about my clients because I wanted to kind of understand their side of it. Right. Um, and the passion was there. I, I started in the mailroom at William Morris um, a week after I graduated, which is boot camp. <clears throat> so they don't teach you what I want to do for a career in any class. There's nothing in school you can learn. I could have gone to law school to maybe get some more, excuse me, <clears throat> I apologize, better um, negotiating tactics. Yeah. But truly it's a job that you learn on the job. And part of that is why you start in the mailroom, which is again, the lowest rung you are is it literally the mailroom or is that kind it of is, a metaphorical description? No, it is literally the mailroom. Okay. And you get promoted to dispatch, which means you actually get a car and you can drive around town and deliver scripts to clients or to studios. But no, you are in the mailroom. You, um, it's part of it is it's, it's God, it's, it's funny. It's like this whole Hollywood history. Um, you go through the mail, um, not that you're breaking any laws, but you want to see, contracts. You want to see um, uh, communication between agents and studios or clients. And so before you turn, before you hand in their daily mail, you actually are going through it. Um, wow. And that's, it's part of how you learn. And then you try to befriend and find your mentor in one of those agents and it's divided into departments. So I was very, very OG and I always wanted to be in motion picture talent because my vision of life was to have my client getting her or his Academy Award and thanking me for all my yeah, effort. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that was my the goal big... as a mother. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So unfortunately or fortunately, I had such this crazy tunnel vision about motion picture talent 
the agency was going through a huge change at the time. Television was actually picking up speed. Actors, film actors were finally getting to start to kind of like transition to doing TV and film. Like it's, yeah. it was such a period where things were changing that um, probably took me a little bit longer to get through what I wanted to do. Um, I could have picked an easier route, like jumping into television or jumping into commercials or something else. And I was like, no, I need professionally trained actors. So, you know, <laughs> some of it was... Um, I remember that though. And I actually, yeah. I come from an old film family myself. My father did documentary filmmaking in the oh. 80s. And I recall thinking... Why are they switching over to TV? There and there's also there was a snobbery in my family yes. attached to it. There was like a no 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 no. She does not do that kind of acting. She is a strictly film actor. Like you should not be seeing her on prime time. She should not do a cameo. Com God forbid a commercial. Which now everybody has found their cash cow. It totally. really was a classist kind of like weird. I'm not, and I never knew if it was in my head or not. But oh no no. And the switchover was weird. The industry fought it as well, but uh -huh. you started to realize the television department was doing packaging and they were starting to make more money than the motion picture talent department. And you're like, hmm, maybe there is something in this because if you're packaging, yeah. it's meaning you're, you're representing the showrunner and the producers and the talent. So you are double and triple dipping. And that is how agencies become so lucrative. And, you know, we had not only and this is a horrible representation of, sorry if I'm offending it, Cosby, right? Bill Cosby. But we had the show, the Cosby show. So we oh, had wow. the showrunners, the writers, and Cosby. So you can imagine the, the, the cash cow that that was. Mm -hmm. At the same time, at the same time, we had actors like Kevin Spacey, who was coming from Broadway and starting in film. And you know, God, these are all so horrible examples. I just realized it. Oh my gosh, my background, <laughs> my my era You're is really because uh, I do have a lot of hashtag me too. I and that, your history. <laughs> uh, it is in my bio as well because that that was the era that I was there. Um, yeah, oh gosh, that's I can't believe the two examples I just gave you. Hang on, it was also tons of women power. Ashley Judd, Mira Servino. Oh wow, um, okay. whistleblower um, actually. Ashley oh, Judd. I see and. Can I tell you, these were my clients at the time and they did not say anything. Wow. They didn't tell. So, God, that's a whole other episode. I'm sorry. But I know. No, it's, it, there, it is. And yeah, you're there and protecting them. Uh-huh. And you know how powerful he is. And I, I heard the horror stories from my friends who worked at Miramax. Like, wow. I knew what was happening there. Mm -hmm. But my clients weren't saying anything. So, unless they tell you, yeah. you don't know. And then... Sometimes it was kind of like, well, are you like, it, it was happening to me and it was happening to them, but none of us really saw what was happening at the time because the threat was, and this was for me and for them, if you speak up, you're a woman, you're going to be blackballed and you can say bye to your career. Of course. That's the, happened the to me perfect as an agent storm happened. environment. It keeping everyone was. calm, keeping the masses like quiet is it's a very delicate dance with a lot of moving parts. You know, I was, I was told point blank. Um, if I wanted to stay in entertainment, keep my mouth shut. If I yeah. was going to pursue a lawsuit, I could say goodbye to my career. Yeah. I wasn't ready to walk away. I kept my mouth shut. 
So how um, long did you spend yeah. in the mailroom before you found your, did you find oh, your mentor in film? I did. I did. I'm sorry. I, I jumped no, way ahead of the fine. clients. So yes, I found a mentor. She was a few years older than me, um, which was great. We're kind of close in age. She was really into this developing young talent, which ended up being my specialty as well. And we just had a great time. So you go from trainee, like mailroom to being an assistant and you're on someone's desk and then you're a junior agent and then you're an agent. But the whole time agency world is about booking. So there's a very short window to how long your client survives. So if they don't pop in six months, you have to let them go. And I was seeing this cycle and remember like, oh God, this is so funny. I would go deliver scripts to one of my childhood crushes, George Clooney. And he was still doing television, right? He hadn't right. really made the break, the leap yet. And so I had this like young actresses who were breaking through and then like Kevin and George and these actors who were transitioning, but it was not, um, it was just a really, really weird period. But what I noticed was like, when I would go find someone who I thought was really talented, like someone I went to school with named Will Farrell, and I brought him in as like that that was the first client I wanted to sign. And the comedy department told me I was off my rocker and he wasn't funny. Ah. I was like, oh, oh okay. Um, he's the only guy who's made me laugh in here. So I yeah. don't understand. So it was so one of the it, is that really quickly, is that formula, yep. the six-month formula, is that um, proven or is it just unspoken. okay? Because I was like, I feel like it's malleable. Like I feel like some people took longer to pop, as you guys were saying. Mm -hmm. um, just in oh. seeing it from an outsider point of view, there are people that have had careers in Hollywood that it seems oh. like it took a good six or seven years before it kind of came into fruition. To, oh, and this was again, I'm into the developing of talent. This is a long road. So the popping is you've got about six months for the clients to pop. They get, they've got a book. You're a booking agency. If they're not okay. booking, they're not making money. You have to let them go or you hip pocket them and you, you continue to try to grow. But what I realized I needed to transition into management because I loved the development process. I love taking that raw talent and helping them find that career goal that they wanted. So um, Jimmy Fallon, this was a great example. He came to me at, when I was a manager fresh off of an open mic in upstate New York, my office manager said, you have to meet this kid. I'm like, okay, send him out. And we did. And we were like, oh, he's adorable. Sat down with him. He knew exactly what he wanted. He's like, I want to be on SNL. I love Adam Sandler. And I want to be on The Tonight Show. I want to be the next Johnny Carson. And I'm not shitting you when I say this. Excuse me. I'm not kidding you when I say this. No problem. Um, but he, he knew his path. That was rare. People came to me. They wanted That's to be- That's fascinating stars. I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. Bye. But the ones who like knew like James Gandolfini, like I know what, like these guys were serious. Like it was awesome. Awesome. Even Felicity has my, I can't believe how many bad names I'm throwing at you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're good. I like it. It's amazing. It's a, it's a who's who of like, I feel like so, of the Hollywood moment. So you, you management was my love. And I did that for most okay. of the 12 years. Uh, it was okay. only at the agency for a couple of years. And it was so funny because it had been that pursuit of like what I had to do, had to do, had to do, I had to do it. And then I was there and I was like, oh, damn, I don't like it. Like it wasn't, it did not bring me joy. 
when you say, <laughs> Let's right, say that. Marie Kondo, <laughs> yes. Did you when you say management? Um, did you matriculate all the way through becoming an, a, like a senior top agent and then go into actual being like these stars managers, or is there a difference? I think I'm confused about the term. That's okay. So it doesn't matter, but there, there is kind of a ranking. It really goes to like how big your client list is, how many studios or networks you're covering as an agent. Um, but again, I only ended up doing two and a half years in the agency world. Then I was a manager for the rest of my career, which is another 10 years. I was in production for a minute and it was too boring. So and what I is the key to... difference between being someone's um, manager versus their agent? So that's the developing of talent, right? I could take somebody raw, a comedian, and I could like working with Jimmy, right? He had zero credits. He, um, but he was talented. He had a very strong why. And so we would work on his set for his audition for SNL. And we would have him meet all the casting directors in town and get him bit parts so he could have a reel because back then you had to submit a reel. Um, and he yeah. would start to create credits. And that is developing of talent. Now, Ashley Judd is another great example. She was a young actress coming off of an indie that she was already getting like great like, Sundance or whatever festival at the time of recognition. And so then you're transitioning her from independent features into full length features, right? Um, into studio features where money is. So that transitioning was what I was really loving and being able to take someone as a manager. Listen, I worked for free for years, right? Um, and then they pay you a commission when they book something. So you have to believe in these people too, because you're investing years of time and probably not getting paid. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely like a different road, but as a manager, you also have the opportunity to be a producer for your clients. So I had some great writers and comedians, funny, funny, funny women who were awesome writers who wrote their own roles. So I got to help them, you know, produce projects as well for nice. them. And so, yeah, it was very creative, super fun, always challenging. Yeah. Um, then 9-11 happened and everything, obviously the whole world changed, but in this world, um, everything that was this studio project um, got put on hold, which means you're not going to get paid. Um, there's even like client deals where they're put on hold with a, with a studio. So you can like be an actress and get paid to do nothing for a, a season. So no other network can have you. So anyway, all those kind of things went away and yeah. reality television started to come in and coming from my OG world, I was not on board with reality television, yeah. nor were my professionally trained clients. They were like, what? You want yeah. me to do what? I'm like, oh, it's kind of scripted and not scripted. And so there was a big decision to be made. And we were, I was watching just the whole climate change and um, where things were going. And it was a really kind of dark period. And then it got doubly dark for me because my mom became ill mm. and I actually closed my management company to become her caregiver. So this career that I had spent my life, I want to say basically on, um, it stopped abruptly. And um, I had to just completely switch gears. I mean, my, my brain went from caring for thousands of people to caring for one specific person. Yeah. It sounds like the ethos of the confidence crown was taken from your experience helping people cultivate themselves though. Like when you talked about what you loved most about managing, mm -hmm. you know, was helping people realize their dreams and kind of come into that clarity. 
Um, when did you launch it? When did you launch the Confidence Crown? Um, are we are we two years old yet? A year and a half ago. Okay. Ago. I don't think I don't think we're two years old yet. Um, sorry, that's so funny. I think um, a year and a half ago, and oddly enough, when I think back of history of who I am, what my background is, I have been doing this my whole life. Yeah. I have. I was a fixer <laughs> and a caregiver my whole life. Um, my parents got divorced when I was two. I was always taking care of my mom in in different ways. I was mm -hmm. always the adult, um, yeah. and so the caregiver part of me and the fixer part of me from elementary school on, I remember I used, I used to call it like taking like wounded birds or something like I would, I would fix my friends. I'd fix my boyfriends. I was fixing everyone around me. Yeah. And it, I didn't really click until a few years ago when I started actually working with coaches for the world I'm in now, where I was like, holy crap, I've been doing this my whole life. I just never gave it that title. I used, it was called a mentor back then, right? I was yeah. your agent or your manager. I was your mentor. I it wasn't your coach. You know, the coach was the acting coach. So yeah. it's so funny. The title didn't even make sense to me until a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh crap, I've been doing this for free for my whole life. Right. I didn't even know. Yeah. It's time to make some money off of that. So can you climb us through like yes. what the, like the core tenets of how it's built? You're a coach, but do you have like um, kind of like a structure to what your company offers your clients or how that all is formed? Yeah. So again, it came out of a need to help. Um, eight, eight and a half years ago, um, a direct sales business fell in my lap and I was a huge skeptic and really resistant and was like, but I needed something because I had gone through this big loss, not just my mom. I been a caregiver now a second time for my grandmother. And so I was, I was in a dark fog and didn't know what or where to go. Um, obviously mm -hmm. far gone from entertainment, didn't really have a direction that BA doesn't get you anything in the real world. And um, right. I actually had gone back to school. I was trying a new career in healthcare when it landed on my lap. And um, it was amazing timing because I had four months left in my program. I didn't like it. I just lost my grandmother now and I was actually having panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't tell anyone. I just spent $42,000 going back to school to get this degree and holy crap, I don't like this. Um, and I had skin issues at the time. When my mom got sick, I got adult cystic acne. Mm. Um, I got treated by my dermatologist who got rid of it, but then that left me with melasma, which is a brown patchy Mm -hmm. hormonally charged issue on your skin. It looks like you have dirt. Sometimes women get it when they're pregnant. I didn't have a baby to show for it. It was just a mess <laughs> of hormones yeah. and medications. And the, when the products were introduced to me and this brand was introduced to me, one of the things she said to me, actually two, one, I could do it as a hobby. It was like, ding, 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 because I'm going to hate my new career. Yeah. And two, the products are going to work. And I was like, yeah, sure. Wink, wink. <laughs> Nothing works, but okay. Um, and in three weeks, my skin had changed dramatically. Uh, a bunch of nurses tackled me at the hospital. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then I realized, oh, I've been washing my face with this new stuff. And it was so bizarre because, again, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I just knew that I was seeing some changes. They're seeing changes. Now they want to buy products from me. And I realized, oh. If I just keep sharing this stuff, <laughs> there yeah. could be something here. And that was 
honestly, this is, that's how this all kind of came about. So I started building this business and I would have a business partner and then I have more clients and another business partner. And it was interesting to see people who ran with it and people who would get stuck. And I'm talking about professionally educated women who in their day jobs are mavericks. Mm -hmm. The minute you put them in charge of their own side business, they are terrified by people's opinions and suggestions and thoughts. And I started to watch them mm -hmm. kind of go flat, like that light, that spark they had, the reason I wanted to work with them, the reason I want to mentor you, right. uh, because I see the special thing in you, you can do this. They would just kind of go flat and like, like a deer in the headlights and I'd lose them. So I started kind of keeping notes and trying to figure out like, what was the common denominator? The common denominator is these women lacked confidence in themselves. Every limiting belief, every, every crazy, tragic, bizarre thing that you were either imprinted with at birth or happened to you on the playground at school or from some boyfriend or someone important in your life that said to you as you were developing was actually showing up later in life with these women. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't laugh at it because it's, but I laugh because I'm like, I have been through the ringer and I, I'm so used to people telling me, no, I came from a career of where mm -hmm. you're told no every single day. That's just part of business. Why are they getting paralyzed? So the confidence crown really was created as a way to structure a path, um, a, a habit, a discipline, a way for women to get over it and to realize that they have the qualities, that they are superior, they are worthy. They just have to listen and, and you know, feed their mind, their body, and their soul. And that is what they'd given up on. And so it's, it's interesting. It helps you in business. It helps you in life. It helps you with your relationships. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not winning. And it's just so many failures in my life gave me a story to be able to adapt and help that person understand that I understood. That's um, fascinating. And the, and the empathy and the kind of intuitive behavior I have as well, but the empathy is strong. Like I feel people's pain. Like, mm -hmm. again, I had that adult acne. That was rough. Like I get it. And melasma was like a horrible side effect. Like really, really the cystic acne is under control. And now I've got this. Like, it was, it made me close down on conversations with people. I didn't want to have eye contact with people. I yeah. didn't believe in myself. Um, and I wasn't used to that. Um, mm -hmm. is so Rodan and Fields like tied into the confidence crown? Is it like part of what the company functions off of, or is it more of a separation? Is it in it, addition you to your, it's like, in your addition to, okay. it, it, I just happened to have learned a lot about women's behaviors in particular. There's men too, but women in particular, and what was, you know, what was keeping them from succeeding? And that became kind of like this passion of mine. No, you don't have to be in business with me in the network marketing side. But man, if you want to, 
if you want some good products and you want to have a side business that's really simple to create, I'm here for you. Um, but I have I to also, say also, I, I learned how to say that the company from my, my British friend, is it, how do you oh. say Rodan and Fields? Is it? You said it perfectly. Okay, because she says Dr. Rodin. Rodin. And, and I'm like, I uh, wonder Rodin. if I'm saying no, there that is, correctly. Now, <laughs> there is Rodin. a brand that uh -huh. I think is just Rodin. A Rodin. There is a high-end okay. like, department store. So Dr. Kathy Fields and Dr. Katie Rodin are the creators of Proactive. Yeah. Um, these dermatologists have been buddies and friends for 30 years since they, went, they were in Stanford together doing their residency. And that's when they created Proactive. And then in like 1990, they started to get rid of their shares and sell it off. And they finally completely separated themselves and they created this legacy brand, which is just their name, Rodan and Fields. And it is really addressing the issues they were seeing in their clients and their patients' offices because, sorry, <laughs> they're doctors <laughs> who have patients right. and they were seeing what was happening is they were used to treating acne but the acne user has grown up and now she or he are dealing with some other issues. So this became an anti-aging brand and it's been right. fantastic and it does help all kinds of skin and I, I don't need to sell it. It sells itself. I mean, it really, again, my skin has been crazy different. Um, I just turned 50. So I'm like really, really happy that I found this when I did because yeah. It's got me over the hump of some crazy aging issues that I wasn't expecting. And um, again, it's a great lucrative income. I mean, it is the background of what I do. I mean, it's, I work from home. Um, it enables me to do that and it enabled me to pursue starting a podcast, branding the confidence crown, um, writing a book. I mean, everything I do now is because I did that. And so it's yeah. been a great vehicle. Absolutely. Well, I come from my um, great aunt Delilah was um, one of the like back in like the fifties um, was one of the first, you know, um, believers. And um, she made millions on um, network marketing for like Mary Kay, some of the old brands. Awesome. You know? And so, and, and what it enabled her to do though, because it's kind of hysterically tragic. Um, her husband was not much um he, he suffered from alcoholism and things like that and just wasn't much of a, a, a producer a contributor to the household right. and so at an age when women weren't able to do much more than um allowed more to do than be a secretary she was you know making millions of dollars off of doing what um women's businesses at the time people had really undervalued which is networking with her yeah. friends, you know, and so yeah. she, um, but she made a, a killing and um, the story is one of my favorites because it, it kind of opens up this idea that holds true across what you're, um, kind of what you're explaining as well as if you're looking for something to augment, um, especially with people who are entrepreneurs, um, you know, the, the concept of needing flexible time and still providing for yourself and, and perhaps a family, you know, you do need to look towards those uh, businesses or setups that are slightly different than the corporate nine to five, you know, totally. and so it sets up that kind of a paradigm as well. It's, but it is, there, there are offshoots to that where you have to be the self-driven person. And it sounds like the confidence crown was built out of like this people who can't run their own show, you know, right away. It's like this, like what happened there? Where's the disconnect? You're such a powerhouse when you're working for corporate or when you, when you've got like this mommy or daddy to answer to, but when you become your own boss, suddenly everything kind of fades and your confidence yeah. goes out the door. They get a couple of no's, side glances from, you know, people close to them and they 
freeze. They freak out. Yeah. And I'm so impressed by your aunt. Like that is such an awesome story. Again, I was the skeptic, right? I, I am from, again, the old, I'm going to keep saying OG world. You go to college, you get a degree, you work in corporate, and then you retire. Now, the ability to make millions was available as an agent, but not it's not your salary. It is your bonus. So mm -hmm. your bonus was like triple your salary. Right. So you have the potential to earn a lot, but you also have the potential to earn Zippo. And like as a manager, when there's no salary and you are simply working off of straight commissions, you learn to hustle. And you you know that it's like it's like betting full time, right? You're like at Vegas and the stakes are high and you're going to have some years that are great, some years that are horrible. And that's just normal. So I think for me, the transition into this world, even though I was, again, I keep saying I was a skeptic because I, you know, pyramid scheme and all the crazy things that I had heard of. And there were a couple of companies who were based here in LA that were going, they were having horrible lawsuits. And I was like, really, how is this any different? But you go back to who created this brand and who these people are. And this was a retail brand that was super successful and they just wanted to reach the masses because at that time there were not and there still aren't enough dermatologists right per capita for people for humans and the way insurance used to be even more than it is now which is you had to go to your primary to get the referral to see a derm mm -hmm. so for them they were like we got to just make this easier for people we're going to do the same things we're doing in our office and we're going to create them for home and they're entrepreneurial and they love supporting women in business. Um, so it became this very positive environment. I went from negative Nancy, you know, agency world where no one helps you to being in a world where there's a bunch of women, there's men too, but a bunch of women who are there cheering you on, helping you out, supporting you, giving you ideas, recommending things. And you're like, where was this when I was growing up? Why didn't they teach us about this in college? Like, I wish I had known about, <laughs> this is the best part. <laughs> if I had only known about residual income in college, the only people I knew who received residual mm -hmm. income were my actor clients who refused to pay me on those checks. Yeah. They pay you for the gig, but they do not give you the residual income. That residual income paid for their houses. It paid for their kids' tuition. That's where the money is. So once I understood that that's how this business model works, I was like, oh my God, bring it. Like, this is fantastic. So I do find it interesting that people still have a negative connotation. I do think it's interesting that people don't um, see it again as this flexible opportunity, particularly for a career-driven woman who maybe wants to take time out to be at home with her kids or has left that career, has been home as a mom, and then isn't feeling like, like she doesn't know herself anymore, right? She's been talking about diapers and poop for too long. And she's like, right. um, can I have an adult conversation? And a lot of it is just community. Um, when you're home and you're taking care of your kids, it's hard to see your girlfriends. You're not getting that time. So this gives you an excuse to get together. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so funny how it all stacked up. Yeah. But for me, the turning point was, remember, I went through my big education. I knew what I wanted to do. I had my career path. And then I start this thing. And I realized very early on that if I'm going to be successful, I've got to learn how to deal with public speaking. 
And that was my biggest fear. I hated oh, wow. public speaking. Uh -huh. I used to get flop sweat. I would panic. <laughs> I would, I mean, college, I avoided it like the plague. I made sure it wasn't part of a major. I would never, ever, ever, ever do it. I was in a sorority. I would never, ever speak in front of that. I mean, nothing. Um, you know, I made films, but I was behind the camera. I did not want to be on this side. And now I'm getting paid to do public speaking for the two biggest powerhouses, Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. So I am like wow. full circle proof that you can get over your fears. You can absolutely overcome obstacles and have fun learning. I mean, this has been a personal development path with a paycheck. That's really what this business turned out to be for me. I had no idea that That's I was amazing. going to be dealing with this. Oh, yeah. So do you, so when you're, you have these major clients that you're now doing public speaking for, is that under the same kind of umbrella as the confidence crown? Or is that like a separate offshoot that just came, came out from it? So that just came out and that's just about to happen. Um, so I was in a master, I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm currently in a mastermind um, with Brendan Bouchard and Dean Graziosi and their other partner, Ethan Willis, which I absolutely love. It's been one of the best investments in my coaching career. Um, masterminds are fantastic. And I'm really, really into self-education because I realized self-education is what was happening to me at the agency, right? I told you, I couldn't learn about what I wanted to do in college, but it was listening in on phone calls, reading the emails, watching, watching the posturing of the agents. That's how I learned my job. Right. It's so amazing that that is exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, but I'm doing it I'm, I'm now the teacher. It's, it's, it's this weird thing that's happened. So last spring, like late April, early May, Dean and his friend, Tony Robbins partnered together and they released a new program called KBB. And it's a blueprint on how to build masterminds. And it's really a big push about self-education. And I decided to do it because what was really cool for me was Again, I've been doing all this stuff for free, right? I've been coaching, I've been teaching, you know, for my Rodan client. I don't pay, my team doesn't pay me to train them, right? But I've been doing this for years. So what KBB taught me was how to actually put together all the steps of the course that I would want to release and launch into the atmosphere. It would tell me how to create a mastermind. It would tell me how to do community, how to form communities. So for me, I saw this as this bonus. Like, I love a blueprint. Tell me the steps. I'll yeah. do it. And that's what this is. And so in August, they started talking about wanting ambassadors and people to kind of talk about how the program has helped them create things. And I put my hand up right away. I was like, oh, you definitely... I'd love to be an ambassador in LA. Like, please, like, I'd love to have host some meetups and, oh yeah, this is, this has been an amazing experience for me because if I can do it, you can do it because at 50, you know, I am great at a bunch of this stuff, but the marketing and, you know, elements about, you know, creating funnels and stuff like that stuff takes me a long time, but I was given all the tools mm -hmm. and it helped me to launch a couple of online programs. And I was like, holy crap, if I can do it, you can do it. Like seriously, this is awesome. 
And then yes. it became, okay, now, so now we're going to be auditioning for speakers and trainers because we're growing so fast. There's 20,000 of us in um, our Facebook group since okay. April. Wow. 20, yeah. Um, and Dean and Tony are being asked to speak about this program all over and their schedules are crazy. So they basically need ambassadors to do it for them. So I put my hand up right away. I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. They're like, okay, there's going to be audition process. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So first audition, you put yourself on video and you know, it had to be a certain time. We had to cover a certain part of the topic, sent it in. Okay. And I saw probably like a week after I submitted it, we were in Sundance at our mastermind and I kept going up to him, probably made him crazy. He just got married. His wife's name is Lisa. So I'm like, I'm the other Lisa. I'm the other Lisa. Like, don't forget me. Don't forget me. You're going to go back and you're going to have to go watch those videos. Don't forget me. And by the end of the week, he was like, I got it. I will be watching your video when nice. I get back. Yeah. And um, I got to round two. And then there was another video and you're like, Oh God. Okay, here we go. Um, so it went from 600 to 50 applicants and eight of us, I think we're up to eight, eight of us got picked and we go wow. to boot camp in about a week and a half. That's so exciting. Yeah. So, um, Will it be a national circuit, like a speaking tour. I believe so. We don't know anything. We just know that's a lot that of trust. We have, yeah. And actually we just got dropped homework on Monday night. Um, I have to produce nine videos in the next like five days. Um, mm. so after I hang up with you, I have a little, little bit of work yeah, to do. Yeah. A little bit uh, of filming to do. That's exactly. Amazing. So it is, I, I want, and I, I'm, I'm sharing this because not because I got the gig and yes, I'm super stoked and I, I just want the experience, right? I want to learn from the best. Yeah. But I'm going to go back to, if I can do this, you can do this. And that's the kind of coaching and training that I like to do with people is help them get unstuck and building that confidence from the inside out because I can help them with their skin. But if they're still messed up inside and they're not feeling worthy and they're not giving good self-care and self-love practice to themselves they're not going to succeed. And that's across right. the, you know, that's across the board. It doesn't matter again, if it's career or personal life. So for me, it's just, all right, how can we get you unstuck? Let's figure this out. And I love it because it goes back to that time of developing talent, right? I, I can see the light in you. I can see what you're good at. I love to serve. So let me help you. Yeah. And that's, that's really my message. And I've shared a lot of wounds and failures and craziness in my podcast. Um, the first season was just my story. And then I started doing interviews in the second season and I'm rotating back and forth in the third season about, you know, again, sharing my story, things I'm going through, but also interviewing other women business owners and how they got there, how they got over it, right. How they got over that fear of taking that leap. Yeah. Um, and it's, I just find it super rewarding. I'm, I'm loving all of it. And I wrote a book. I mean, like, none of yeah, this. Yeah, let's climb into in that. I'm wondering, um, your book is called Be Hashtag Strong Her, yes. A Guide to Building Confidence. Um, what kind of, like, what are the core tenets of the book? Because confidence building, it, it, it's a universe unto itself. Like, there's so many ways to come at it. 
Totally. And so I try to cover a bunch of it in the eight chapters. It is a workbook because you need to do the practices. So it's kind of an overview of how I got over things, right? We go over some basics about, again, learning like maybe what your issues are. Are these limiting beliefs? Um, are you dealing with some kind of block? Um, is it, you know, not feeling worthy? Like where, where you know, where are your issues? So uh -huh. we want to identify them. So there's an assessment at the beginning. And then we're going to go each chapter and I'm going to share some nuggets of things that have helped me overcome certain issues and then make suggestions about ways if this is bother, if this is what's affecting you, let's go this direction. And then every chapter has a workbook so that they have, um, or worksheets, I should say. So there's, you've got to answer, right? You've got to be interactive for this to work. Um, but what it should help you do is come out of it um, feeling like you have a better handle on whatever was holding you back, um, feeling more confident in pursuing that dream, that vision that you had that you didn't think you could really do. And then hopefully you, excuse me, you work the book over and over until you really get through all those pieces. Because I find it to be multi-leveled in the sense that you think it's just one thing that you're trying to improve about yourself, but it's because you have a few other things <laughs> going yeah. on as well. So right. it, it, again, it's more, it's an overview. I do dig in deep. I, you know, I, from daily habits, right. How to start your day. And so that you're winning, um, to how to take time out and really practice proper self-care, um, to also learning how to feed your mind with positive messaging. So there's affirmations and there's, you know, suggestions about, you know, how to, how to care about how you're feeling and to acknowledge it with the people around you. And yeah. I don't know. It just, That's awesome. It, and I like the workbook you. style. I like yeah. the, um, I'm a big action item person. I never yes. like to leave any powerful meeting or anything without tasking myself with some way I'm going to implement an action item from it because I think it really serves not just to do something physically about it, but it also serves as an incredible reminder, you know, totally. of, of the core tenant that you've kind of learned. So I like the workbook style about it. Looking forward, like over the next three years, because you have this new horizon kind of sitting <laughs> on your lap, do you have goals for what you see happening with the confidence crown or this new um, endeavor with KBB? Like yeah. what, what are your plans for the next three years? Such a great question. So the KBB thing obviously came out of nowhere. Again, kind of like the book, yeah. <laughs> the podcast I knew I was going to do, I just took my time getting it done. Um, I, you know, it's going to be sporadic. I'm not, I'm not a full-time hire in any way, shape or form. It's going to be like wherever they need us. We just got to get shipped out. Um, so I'm still going to be doing everything else I'm doing here. So developing more coaching programs, um, probably doing more workshops and masterminds because um, it really is the best way for me to conquer more people and probably yeah. more in a webinar format um, because that way I can keep costs down for people. We're not renting space um, and we can just make it a way again for people to get the tools that they need to succeed. From there, um, getting that stage time will probably <laughs> might make me want to tweak a few of these things. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I could say something different to you in six months, but um, I do know like in a perfect world, um, 
there are going to be, there's going to be more vlogging. There's, um, I have a IGTV series that I'm about to launch. So there's going to be more like video content and ways to hopefully interact better with everyone. And then in the perfect world, um, I'm absolutely positively hooked on, um, Reese Witherspoon's shine on. And, um, Mm. I would like to create something very similar to that. Um, it was incredible, powerful interviews with important women up and coming and successful already. Um, and it's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it, but I am that, that clicked for me as something that made sense for where I want to take this practice and where I want to take my story of, seeing other women and how they're, they've been empowered. So that would kind of be the perfect world. Um, more travel, more, more, more goodness, just, you know, giving back as much as possible. I love, I love to be able to help others. Yeah. Well, and you are covering it on a lot of platforms. If someone walked up to you tomorrow and said, listen, I spent, you know, a good decade in um, the talent agency industry and managing talent in Hollywood and I'm turning now into kind of my own um, development of a branded company where I'm going to help people. Essentially, you walked up to you. Yeah. What, would, um, what are the three pieces of advice you would give her starting out this journey? It's so interesting because the industry's changed so much. So I feel like I almost can't speak about it. Um, it's all digital now, right? It's all virtual. Yeah. They, you barely even go in for an audition anymore, which I found baffling. Yeah. Um, so I would probably, oh gosh, what would I talk to myself about? I think I'd have to remind myself about being open to change and understanding that the medium is changing and that I need to be more flexible and to, you know, not say no to the reality shows that I now enjoy. Um, and, and really, I guess get with the times because it's going to keep changing. And so if you're going to be successful, you have to be adaptable. And if that means learning other elements, then you got to keep that self-education happening or hire the right people to do that for you. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a different medium now. I, that's a, that's a great question. I'm not sure how I'd look at myself and be like, do not make that same mistake and not, be open to trying. And what about forming your business, the confidence crown? What advice would you give someone kind of starting out, like doing this self-branded moment, like core tenants uh, that helped you do that? Yeah. So again, leap of faith. I think ignorance is bliss. Um, I, the hardest part, I think in all of this has been staffing, finding the right team of people to help you pursue your goals when you're branding a product and a and a lifestyle and this whole thing. And, um, I went through the ringer this past year and a half with, um, different assistants, VAs, um, including having a horrific experience with, um, identity theft for my personal assistant. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Is it for a VA from the VA angle, the virtual assistant angle? No, this was actually truly personal was in my house. Wow. Bad. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. So, um, so choosing the right people, staffing the right people. Choosing the right people, really vetting people, um, really having your SOPs, your systems of operation um, set up prior because for you to grow and scale quickly, you need to basically duplicate yourself. And if all you're doing is spending time training those people 
to understand you, you're wasting time. So it's always about income producing activity. You're the talent, right? You're the creative part of this. So you, again, you have to know when, where your limitations are and when you need to hire out for certain things. And learning to delegate was probably the hardest thing I've ever learned or had to, had to learn because as a business owner in the past and as an agent, I've always been, you know, I have to do it all or it doesn't get done right. I have to, do, I mean, I always had assistance, but you're always like hitting your head, like, oh, why did I give them that? They still made a mistake. Like, or even with VAs, like I get, you know, there's always typos and there's, there's, it's really hard to find quality people to work with you. And if you have your SOPs and you have great vetting conversations and actually add a third party to that, like quit having the emotional connection and bring in someone else to help you with the vetting part, mm-hmm. I think it really helps. Um, because, you know, I might see someone and again, see qualities in them, but I need someone who can hardcore ask them X, Y, and Z about their abilities. Because I might give someone a chance to show me versus actually just needing somebody who's already ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got remind, uh, be open to change. If you're going to be successful, you have to be able to adapt, change and adapt. And then finding the right staffing, setting up your SOP and learning how to duplicate yourself. If you're going to grow quickly. That self-education part of it is again, you got to be adaptable and you got to be constantly learning about new things. Um, or again, knowing those limitations and getting those right people in to help you like funnels and ads. And, you know, if you didn't have a marketing background, don't try to tackle every step of it. If that's not your world already. Right. Absolutely. Outsource. Super time consuming. Absolutely. (laughs) I got you. Well, we are all out of time, but I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me, um, albeit over um, Zoom online today. It's a rainy, rainy day in SoCal. I'm in San Diego. You're in Los Angeles right now, I think? Yes. Yes. So um, I really, I'm thankful that you were able to take the time out of your busy schedule and we will circle back around because I can't wait to find out what happens with the mastermind development speaking circuit, Thank but I have you. a feeling we will be seeing you a lot. And I just want to say thanks so much, Lisa, for taking the time today. For anyone who wants to contact you or find out what you're doing, um, what is the best route for people to do that? Find me on Instagram at the Confidence Crown, and uh, you can find everything else about me there because it's great. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it sounds fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. For everyone listening, thank you for giving us your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Slunchak.